0: Hallelujah! Just before we start, I thought I would e- explain uh, an issue to do with Murphy's Law. We all know what Murphy's Law is, don't we? Yeah. A sort of. Well, Murphy dropped some buttered toast on the kitchen floor, and it landed butter side up. What? He looked down in astonishment for he knows that it's the law of the universe that buttered toast always falls butter side down. So he rushes around to the presbytery to fetch Father Flanagan and he tells the priest that a miracle has occurred in his kitchen. He won't say what it is, so he asks Father Flanagan to come and see it with his own eyes. He leads the father into the kitchen and asks him what he sees on the floor. Well said, the priest. It's pretty obvious someone has dropped some buttered toast on the floor, and then for some reason they flipped it over so that the butter was on the top. No, Father, I dropped it and it landed like that, declared Murphy. Oh, my Lord, says Father Flanagan. Drop toast never falls with the butter side up. It's a miracle oh wait, it's not for me to say it's a miracle. I'll have to report the matter to the bishop and he'll have to deal with it. He'll send some people around to interview and take photos. A thorough investigation was conducted, not only by the diocese but by the archdiocese and by scientists also sent over from the Curia in Rome. No expense was spared. There was great excitement in the town as everyone knows that a miracle will bring in much needed tourism revenue. Maybe we need that in New Zealand. Then after eight long weeks and with great fanfare, the bishop announced the final ruling. It is certain, he said, that some kind of extraordinary event took place in Murphy's kitchen, quite outside the natural laws of the universe. Yet the Holy See must be very cautious before ruling a miracle. All other explanations must be ruled out first unfortunately in this case it has been declared not to be a miracle because they think that murphy may have buttered the toast on the wrong side (laughs) (laughs) i thought alan would like that i didn't ask if anybody's irish here (laughs) that might be problematic hallelujah i want to ask you a question are you a thermometer you know what a thermometer does? It records the temperature, identifies where it is. Or are you a thermostat? Do you make a difference to the spiritual atmosphere or temperature in your family and in your community? I want to share a, a teaching this morning on the reflection of his glory, because I think it's time we got this revelation Some of you may have, some of you may not have, but I want to begin with two uh, scriptures. The first one is uh, in Psalm 17, where David said, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And also in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen for that. So David, in that previous scripture in Psalm 17, says that he won't be satisfied until he looks like God. Stop and think about the actual words of this. You see, God is a God of revelation. When he speaks, his words come out from himself, and things are created. The technical term is ex nihilo. In effect, he creates out of himself, like a seed that he pulls out, and it's revealed for all to see. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So God reaches inside himself, and he pulls out the earth. And then he reaches inside the earth and he pulls out man. And he didn't do the same with the woman, but instead he reaches inside the man and pulls out the woman. And then he reached inside the woman and he pulls out the seed that is himself the Messiah. That might help us to understand that scripture It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stop and think about this. It begins with Christ. It ends with Christ. And everything originates from him, and it's all going to look like him. You see, God was so intent on getting his image into all the universe, the Bible says that he created two great lights. It's in Genesis 1. Verse 16 and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. And verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. Now the greater light is obviously the sun. God said, let there be light and there was light. I find it interesting that that was on day one but he didn't create the sun until day four. So the light that was seen from day one, two and three was actually his own glory being manifest in the universe. You see, God is light and in him there is no shadow of darkness. It's his glory that illuminated the darkness. It symbolised that truth that on day four, he created the sun. It would be nice if it turned up, actually. It's there, but we can't see it because it's shaded from us. And the Bible says and science confirms that it has its own source of power and it burns with a seemingly eternal light and it illuminates our day. That's why you didn't need your headlights on to come to church and you can't this morning. And in the night, we know that God created the moon. Now, unlike the sun, it has no power. It's a dead piece of rock, and believe me, it is not cheese. It has no light of its own. So why do we see the light of the moon when we go outside at night? When you see the moon, it's usually day on the other side of the earth. I've been right round the earth several times, at least five that I've counted, and I get to see what the planet does, and for people who think the earth is flat, you need to get on a plane and go somewhere because if you keep going east, you come back to where you started. You can't do that in a flat planet. Anyway, the light of the sun reflects off this dead piece of rock and God designed it so that we get a bit of night, a bit of light at night, but not too much. Now for part of the month, we see a waxing and a waning moon. And you all know what that means. You get a half or maybe a quarter of the moon because the Earth has got in the road of the light from the sun onto the moon. Unless, of course, you remember, not that long ago, we had an eclipse. That's the first one I've ever seen that I remember. There's solar eclipses and there's lunar eclipses. There's two different kinds. And they're really quite exciting. I don't know if they're that spiritual, but it's a spiritual lesson because the earth partly obstructs the light, so less light is reflected from the moon. And in spiritual symbolism the earth always compares to the flesh. That's the part of us that we have the trouble with. The flesh of man was made out of the dust of the earth, and when you let the flesh get in the, row, in the way rather of reflecting the glory of God, there is less light to illuminate with. We're not called to be a partial explanation of God's glory, but we are called to fully reflect his glory. Bear with me while I explain. The moon is a type or symbol of the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia. Its job is to reflect the sun, which is a type of God himself. So God wanted to create another reflection of himself, and the Bible says that man was made in the image and likeness of God. We know the story. Adam is naming animals, two by two, male and female. And after a while, he works out that they each have a companion, but he doesn't. He's alone and a bit lonely. And then God says it's not good for a man to be alone. So what does he do? He knocks Adam out and pulls from within Adam the woman or if you like, the womb man. Just to have a play on words. Everything Adam needed was actually inside himself. It just hadn't been revealed yet. So when Adam wakes up and sees his bride, he says, wow. Well, no, actually, that's not quite what he said. (laughs) He said, surely this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We're eternally connected She's part of me and I'm part of her. And 1 Corinthians eleven three states that the woman is the glory of man and the man reflects the glory of God. That's not sexist, it's in the Bible. And the story moves on and we know that Adam and Eve sinned. We don't need to go into that too much today. They fell through disobedience. And when they fell, there has to have been some sort of physiological change. Eve's having an apple break and then Adam notices a change in her now I don't think he had any idea what exactly that meant but he worked out that this thing called death would separate them and so he made a conscious decision to join her I don't really think he understood the consequences of his choice he probably hadn't worked that out, that he was choosing to be with Eve, but in consequence he was now choosing to be separated from God. And all of a sudden, the image and likeness of God that was in Adam began to diminish and to dissipate. So when God looked over the banister of heaven, he says to Adam, I see a change in you. I see something in you I didn't put there. And it's blocking my glory that I put in you from the beginning. And so God comes down to earth, to the earthly realm, and he calls out, Adam, where are you? It's not that he didn't know that Adam was hiding behind a bush. It was because God was asking Adam, where are you in the scheme of my plans? But God gave a promise, and he said there was coming a day when the seed of the woman is going to bruise the seed of the serpent and the glory of God is going to return to humanity. That's why Isaiah wrote, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God is going to have his way, no matter what we think. You see, the glory that had been on the face of Adam will be returned to God's people. The light that was in Adam was the glory of the Lord. Listen carefully it was God's reflected glory that was lost in the Garden of Eden. How do we know if someone is the son of a particular father? We call it a paternity test because they share the same attributes of their father, the same DNA. The good news is that the world is waiting for people to look and act like our spiritual father. Consider the story of Zacchaeus. He gets a surprise visit from Jesus. Zacchaeus becomes so touched by that encounter that he gets generous and he restores what he's stolen and So on, you know the story. And Jesus makes an interesting statement. It's in Luke 19. Jesus said to him, that's Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus is talking about himself, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I have a question and I have a challenge for each of you. Are we open to revelation from God? Are we open to bring, being changed by His glory? If we are, then we will be confronted by the blemishes in our own character, and then we have a choice to change or not. If we don't make the right choice, we will be snuffed out. But if we do make the right choice, we'll become reflections of His glory. And as the Holy Spirit is permitted to radically change us, then others around us will also be changed. Now, that passage there, have another little look at it. It doesn't say that Jesus were there, was there to seek him who was lost, but that which was lost. A personal, an impersonal pronoun, if you like. What is the that that was lost? It was the glory of God jesus said he was there to restore the glory for surely the spirit of the lord is upon me he said and he's anointed me to bring good news so let's have a look at a couple of other scriptures john chapter 1 verse 1 and 14 in the beginning was the word that speaking of jesus and the word was with god and the word was god And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So everything Jesus did was to restore the glory of the Father. Let me take you to John 17. When Jesus had spoken of these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is his prayer, praying for us, effectively. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus is just addressing the Father and saying, those who come to faith in Jesus become glorified. It's like a little nuclear atom inside you and it radiates his glory in some measure, maybe imperfectly in all, but that's interesting. So there it is. The Son passes on the glory of the Father to those who will receive it. We call it salvation and it's not just good news, it's the best news. Now, I find it interesting, a little diversion here for a moment. Hmm. Eternal life is given to those whom you've given to Jesus. Eternal life is only available to those who are in covenant with the Lord Jesus. Those who aren't in the Lord Jesus have a little bit of a problem they will not receive eternal life. Just something for you to think about. So humanity has produced fallen glory. Let me give you a little statement. God saw that there were lots of sons of man, but there were no sons of God. So the son of God became the son of men so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. That's so important, I need to repeat it. This has nothing to do with gender. It's just simply about humanity. God saw that there were lots of sons of men, that's us, but there were no sons of God when he saw this. So the son of God became the son of men so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. I want you to mull on that over the coming days because it's really true. in effect Jesus is saying I'm going to look like you so that you can look like me remember when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Torah the the Ten Commandments he saw God's glory and when he returned home it was too much for the people of Israel they were disturbed at what they saw the glory of God shone from Moses' face it was too much for them and they asked him to put a sack over his head. <laughs> because what they saw scared them. And that's why human flesh wants... What, sorry, what human flesh wants is to dim or remove the glory of God because it reminds them of what they've lost. But Moses wrote, As surely as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Moses was actually saying, in in effect, you might want to cover me up right now, but the day is coming when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth and all of creation. Now, we sometimes sing uh, songs about heaven. We want to go there. But have you ever wondered what heaven sings? Says in Isaiah 6, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. This is prophetic praise of God's plan and his intention. And even when Jesus prayed, look at the words Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The word kingdom means the domain of a king where he is sovereign. So the king, sorry, let me say this again. The kingdom is coming to earth. The power of the king is coming to earth. And the glory of the king is coming to earth. As it says in Hebrews 1, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Another little aside. This is a scripture you could give to Jehovah's Witnesses. Because if Jesus is the firstborn and to be worshipped, he has to be God. Okay, it's really that simple. The key word here is firstborn. But there's another scripture in John 3, and we all know it so well, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's a question, is there a conflict here? Because firstborn means that there are otherborn. It looks like Jesus might have some relatives. Hmm. Some siblings, maybe. Remember that Scripture states that Adam was the first Adam and Jesus is not called the second Adam, but the last Adam. Adam dies with his bride Jesus died for his bride. Remember, too, that when God gave Adam his bridal companion, after knocking him out, he reached inside his side and he brought out Eve. And when Jesus was on the cross, the soldiers pierced his side and it says that blood and water mingled came out. Now, there's only one other time when that happens. The mothers here will know about it. It's during human childbirth. Now, Jesus could have said, you thought you killed me, devil, but I just gave birth to something and it looks just like me. You see, the Bible says we, the ecclesia, the church, the bride, were in Christ from the foundation of the earth. We just had to come out. Adam didn't just call Eve his bride, but bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, his body. And that's why the church is called the body and the bride of Christ. For when Jesus was placed in the tomb of the earth, three days later it became a womb. And the first thing out of every womb in a normal birth is the head. Jesus is the head of the church, the ecclesia, and since Jesus is the head, every head needs a body and it needs to be connected. So, in Romans 8 it says this, For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified. Do you get the picture here? God's trying to get our attention about his purpose in our lives. Together as well. So Jesus is called the Christ. Had that conversation with somebody just yesterday. It's not his surname. Uh, some call him Jesus Christ. That's not his name. Christ isn't a surname. It's a title. In, in the, it's a Greek title. It should be a Hebrew one, which means Messiah. It simply means the anointed one. Now, John said an interesting thing. He said there are many antichrists. It's mentioned in four verses in First and Second John. It's not just one bad control freak, but a spirit of antichrist, which means anti or against the anointing of God. So if there are many antichrists, could it be possible that there are many pro-christs in order to turn it on its head, if you like? Let's look at this briefly. I'm nearly finished. Let's look at the genealogy of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 1, and it's summarized in verse 17 by saying this So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations, and from the de- deportation of Babylon to the Christ, or the Messiah, 14 generations. So, you can make a note of this, but verses 2 to 6 lists those whom were in the first 14, from Abraham to David. And if you count them, there's 14 of them. From verses 7 to 11, you will find a second list. Solomon, in other words, David's son, through to Jeconiah, that's the, the deportation time. And from that time, verses 12 to 16 lists, she'll heal through to Jesus who was called Christ or Messiah. But if you count that, you'll find there's only 13 there. So does the Bible have an error in Matthew chapter 1? No. no, I, I agree. Look at what it says in verse 16, and I haven't put it up here because you need to go and look at it. It says Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Joseph is never called Jesus' father. Hmm, he's just the husband of Mary. Also, did you count the list properly? 14 in the first, 14 in the second, 13 in the third. Have you got the revelation yet? Those who are part of the bride of Christ, these who are born again, you are the siblings of Jesus the Messiah. That's us. We are the 14th generation. And if you doubt it, let me check with just three quick scriptures. 1 John 3, beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We are God's children now. John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. And lastly, in Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Do you get the picture? Do you get the revelation, really? It's not a secret anymore, not hidden under a basket or whatever, but out in the midst of the community, revealing the glory of the God of God as the Holy Spirit is permitted to ignite us. 2 Corinthians 3:18 and we all with unveiled faith, face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, If you see God as mean or judgmental or distant from his creation, then you will probably reflect meanness, judgmentalism and distance from people who need to see the glory of God. But if you see him as a God of love and mercy and grace and power, then these are the attributes you'll show to others. So when we look into God's glory, we can't help but be changed from glory to glory, as scripture says. So let me summarise this. Firstly, God intends for his glory to be everywhere throughout his creation. Secondly, God's reflected glory comes upon us when we enter that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ we call being saved or born again. And thirdly, when we allow God's glory to be revealed through us, others... Family members, neighbours, workmates, communities, even whole nations can change. So, I have a question as I finish. Do you have an unsaved family member, a neighbour, or, or a workmate? I propose to you that you ask God to be glorified in that person or situation. Don't just ask once, do it regularly, daily, whatever is appropriate. Because where God is glorified, his enemies cannot stand. And that's how we change a community in a nation. That's how we get righteousness in business, in workplaces, in families, in government, in all the places that we would like revelation of his glory to be there. So it's time to be ignited with his Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that it will go forth and accomplish that which you require from each and every one of us. And, Lord, in that sense, I ask that your name would be glorified through each of us here and those who will watch the um, video later. Father, I ask as you are glorified, let our lives be changed into more and more a reflection of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.